0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books.
1: Another day is here and you're
0: ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of
1: America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com
0: slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hey, where is everybody? We'll do it a bit. Hey, everybody. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy. And I'm in Los Angeles. It's nice to be with you. Thank you for tuning in today. My guest is Timothy Willis Sanders, author of a new story collection called Modern Massacres.
1: That's the worst. I, you know, I, I thought of canceling this for uh, uh, a couple of times because I was just like <laughs> of canceling uh, this conversation. Yeah, canceling this conversation. I'm, I'm happy. I'm here, and I want to be here, and I, I'm enjoying myself. And. And I, I, I like you as a person and, and um, uh, I'm, I'm flattered that you wanted to chat, but it's interesting because like recently I've taken steps to kind of figure all that out and, you know, do things about it and there's this whole like, these like new tropics, like this like Ashwagandha, Rhodiola, like these like herbal supplements yeah. that you can you can take that have a really powerful effect on your anxiety. Like I'm fucking having small talk with the cashier at, at, at grocery stores now. I would never do that before.
0: That was Timothy Willis Sanders, author of the story collection Modern Massacres, available now from Publishing Genius. We had a great talk, went all over the place, as you can hear, a lot of fun. That conversation is coming up in just a minute. The Other People podcast has a free weekly email newsletter. I do a newsletter, it's my newsletter. It's an email newsletter. You can sign up at bradlisty.com or otherppl.com. It's the same newsletter in both places. I always forget to mention that. Today's episode is made possible by Vintage Books, home to bold new voices in literature that push boundaries and expand perspectives. Vintage is proud to offer Bud Smith's new novel, Teenager, named one of NPR's best books of 2022, one of LitHub's most anticipated books of the year. Teenager is electric, says the Atticus Review. It is damaging and dangerous and stunning. It's about two teenagers in love and insane as they journey across the United States in a Bonnie and Clyde like adventure. That's teenager by Bud Smith available now from vintage. So today's guest once again is Timothy Willis Sanders, author of a new story collection called modern massacres which is totally enjoyable, deceptively simple in its delivery. It's got a lot on its mind. It's got death on its mind. It's got anxiety on its mind. It's got dissolution on its mind. It is a very carefully and astutely observed story collection. It finds a way to strike a balance between these deeper, darker themes and the absurdities of modern existence. Psychological absurdities, physical absurdities, the micro experiences that characterize our day-to-day juxtaposed against larger concerns, deeper trends, darker forces. And I just love talking with Tim Sanders. We had a great time and we covered a lot of ground and i'm excited to share that conversation with you right now i should say as a technical matter that there is a bit of buzzing in the audio and i apologize for that i did not hear it on the recording and i recorded like three different ways and checked every single track for some reason it's there so Excuse the buzzing. It's not there for the whole talk. It will go away eventually, and I don't think it uh, takes anything away from this excellent conversation with Timothy Willis Sanders. Here he is, folks, and his new collection, one more time,
1: is called Modern (laughs) Massacres. So I'm in my apartment. It's one of those typical San Francisco, I don't know if they're Victorians or if they're Edwardians, one of the Ians. And it's like, I'm on a, like, I can see the street. What part of San Francisco there. are you in? I'm in the Lower Haight, so I'm like central San Francisco, uh, dead center of the city. I can go to the top of the hill and see uh, the Golden Gate Bridge. I can see Twin Peaks. I could see just the entire Bay Area, probably about a, um, a two minute walk from here. I was there. So,
0: I was there earlier this summer. We took our kids, and every time I go to San Francisco, I'm just like, it's the most beautiful city in the in the country.
1: It is. It's beautiful, but you know, it's like got that contrast. There's like, you know, there's shit on the streets. There's people shooting up in weird spots, and it's it's just a it's an interesting city in that way because there's just a ton of natural beauty, but there's just uh, like extreme versions of humanity that um you know that that i've just become kind of numb to in this weird way wait Uh, a minute
0: wait a minute wait a minute because like i live in los angeles and we have a lot of the same problems like publicly that san francisco has like the the unhoused people and people who are mentally ill wandering the streets people with like serious drug problems like violence petty theft all these things have sort of been on the rise and have been complained about and so when my wife and I took uh, our kids on this road trip to San Francisco this summer, we got there expecting it to be, like, at least the equivalent of Los Angeles. We'd heard all these stories. Yeah. And it was fine. It was yeah, fine. I was like, I mean, you should come to Los Angeles. I'll show you a problem. Like,
1: Well, no, no. So, so in well let me ask you this in los angeles at least from my experience it seems to be more concentrated like you don't have unhoused people walking through the wealthier parts of 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 some beverly hills or some rich neighborhood in los angeles increase
0: increasingly untrue increasingly it does happen
1: yeah okay okay i i yeah i think here it's just like it seems like it's like everywhere even in like wealthier neighborhoods you, you just it's just there's there's turds on the ground so it's like it's like it's everywhere people um, just
0: people just pooping openly in the
1: sidewalks yeah like that was the whole thing like you know the mayor had a whole campaign about how she was gonna clean, clean the shit off the sidewalks like it's it's um uh yeah it's everywhere here but you know, I I enjoy it here. Like, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> despite <laughs> uh, the human feces everywhere, I love it here. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful beautiful place, and and it's it's such a um, like it's such a fucking like a city in a in a snow globe. Like it's such an, a, a, an iconic American city and a tourist attraction and a postcard. It's like living inside of a postcard sometimes.
0: And you live in the Lower Heights, so you're like in the hippie. Like, that's, like, the epicenter of the American hippie counterculture.
1: Well, that's upper hate. But, but yeah, it's, it's right. It's, it's adjacent, you know. Like, I think, you know, Janis Joplin's old house is, like, not too far from here. Like, you know, it's just there's, there's all these kinds of um, cultural things. Like, the Castro is just a couple blocks south of here. So, you know, like, just all the iconic gay rights history that, that, that's here as well is, like, it's just really cool. I just love this city so much. I've been here for um, six years. I think when you last interviewed me, it was in 2015 or 2016, and I was in Austin. Right, Um, right. You were in Texas last time. Yeah, I was in Texas. So this is the first time I've lived in a blue state uh, (laughs) my entire life. So um, I'm just really really enjoying it. Why did you move? Uh, I moved for my job, like my job, I, I got offered a job out here, and, and uh, at first I was like, no, I don't want to move to California, especially uh, the Bay Area, just, cause, you know, living in Texas, you just hear all these stories about how expensive it is and, and how impossible it is to live, but my, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, <laughs> got pretty upset with me and was like, we have to go. So we, uh, we left, and it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah, Gene and I talk about it a lot, how uh, <laughs> we just got out of Texas and uh, how awful Texas was. So I don't really miss it. The only thing I miss about Texas is the, is the food. It's like for all the beauty and, and, and wonder of California, I can't seem to find a decent plate of barbecue or a good taco to save my life. I'm sure they are good tacos, but uh, the barbecue is just uh, atrocious. But otherwise, I don't really miss Texas at all.
0: What is the difference? That's an interesting person. That's an interesting situation for a person to be in is to be a lifelong, especially in this version of the United States, which is like so polarized or whatever, to be somebody who has spent their entire life in red states and then to move to like the bluest of blue states. Like, it, What was the experience like?
1: Well, it was really good because it was, um, we moved here in October or September of 2016. And I think you'll, you know, remember two months after that, you know, Trump was elected. I think three weeks after that, we went and saw Rebecca Solnit speak. And, you know, when you go into public spaces in Texas, you're, you're a, a certain percentage of that, more than half of those folks are probably going to be conservative people you know if you go to a sporting event or if you go to um uh you know a, a big box store or like you know any kind of public space you're gonna just encounter conservatives so for the first time when i went and saw rebecca the Solman speak it was um i can't remember the name of the theater uh it was uh, i saw tommy and coast there melissa broder was there but it was just full filled with people who were like like me, who, who think like me in terms of and, and have the same politics as me. And, you know, that was really different. You know, like when people speak and before they speak, they acknowledge that, you know, they're holding this event on stolen land. Like that shit doesn't happen <laughs> in, in Texas. You know, I remember I was listening to the radio here and they were talking about the sex ed program in public schools in California. And it was like how they were opening up and talking about teaching kids about you know um, lgbtq uh people you know to, to like third graders and and how some people were upset about that but you know for the most part everybody just kind of accepted it as something natural and, and okay and that was really shocking and i don't know it was just it was it was really interesting making the transition and i was just like i should have done it a long time ago i don't know uh, what kept me in the South I, I think there are things that I still really love About the South that I still really miss Here's, here's how I'll, I'll put the, the, the biggest difference When you for, for people in the South They will be wonderful And respectful and sweet To you, to your face So individually like They are really nice people They hate you when you're in a group um, When it's a, a group of you That's when they hate you here it's like you know they'll be mean to your face or they'll be fake or mean to your face, but as a group, you know they, they accept you and and will live amongst you. So I and that's not just like white and black thing. That's like you know uh, any kind of you know marginalized group. That's that's the approach. So you know if you're gay in the south, you know your fa- your family members individually might accept you, but have a problem w- with. Uh, with um you know uh the group (laughs) versus the individual so it's just it's really interesting and i think I, i miss i miss being able to say hi and and howdy to people on the street and like strangers will be nicer to you in the south and in grocery stores and in public spaces individually um than they are i think out here i don't know it's it's um it's just, it's, it's just my opinion, but, but yeah, it's what, it's what my, my experience has taught me.
0: So this new collection, Modern Massacres, I read in a sitting, which you can do. It's a, it's a short book, you know, it's what is it? A hundred pages. Yeah. Um uh, of is this flash fiction is that what you,
1: would you characterize it as such no, or no can call it flash fiction some of the stories are just longer so yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't characterize it as flash fiction uh, flash fiction to me is like a paragraph like 150 300 words um, this is definitely something more expansive than that i think so
0: it's called modern massacres so i think i had death on my mind when i read it anyway <laughs> but the each uh, each of these stories seems to me to be about a kind of death or at least some sort of threat of destruction <laughs> uh, i I don't know i had to, i was, I always try to develop unifying theories of story collections when I read them you know I'm like reading there I'm looking for like the thread or looking for like what the what the overarching statement is but I feel like this is a collection that has death on its brain am I wrong
1: mm. You're absolutely right. You know, I, I think I think if there was like a common theme throughout the book, it it is anxiety, and you know the fear of things falling apart or them falling apart. You know, that's probably the common thread throughout all the stories for sure. Yeah. And child
0: and childhood. A lot of these stories are childhood stories.
1: Yeah, I, I think that was something I, I had. Um, you know, told, told Bud Smith, I was like (laughs) writing about, writing about being uh, a child or, or writing from a child's perspective is really, really hard. And, um, why, why, why is it hard? I don't know. There's a language that I have access to now that I didn't have access to as a kid. So I think, you know, telling a a story Mm -hmm. from a child's perspective or viewing things from a child's perspective is, is a challenge i don't know if i did it right or if i pulled it off but it felt okay to me and uh it's just i think that there is sort of naivete and an innocence that that you just it's really difficult to like pin down and capture in terms of the way children see the world overall yeah
0: and did like how long did it take you to write this
1: So some of the stories, like the first story, Arizona, like that was probably one of the first stories I'd ever written. And I think that had sat on my hard drive for about 15 years. It's funny because there are probably about 150 drafts of that particular story. That story has been told in several different ways, several different styles, and and has just evolved. and. Then there were just some that I had just written specifically for the collection that, you know, I wrote in like two months or something. So it just really depends on, on, uh, on the individual story. But yeah, the, the first story, Arizona, as I mentioned, was just a story that I knew I always wanted to tell, but I just could never, ever get it right. And I don't know if I did get it right. But it, it feels good to have it out in the world, at least. So, yeah.
0: how did you know when it was done? If there's 150 different versions, like you just at some point you give up.
1: <laughs> no, I think um, you know. I, I think you know. I think it's it's more about like when I whenever I, I uh, it's this interesting question, like oh, when when is something done? And I think whenever I read something, there are two ways that I know it's good. And this goes for, like, um, listening to music or just taking in any kind of art. And it's after I leave that thing, does it come up in my brain again? (laughs) You know, and, like, once I'm done with the story, like, how do I feel? Like, if I finish a story and I'm like, okay, now let me go, you know, Drink a glass of water, or play this video game, or like talk to my wife, like do something different. Then I don't think I've uh, the story really succeeded. But if I s- stop reading a story, I need to take a breath, and I need to like sort some things out, or if, like mix something. Then 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 I know it's good. Or if I move on with my day, and then something happens in my day, and the story comes back into my brain, then I know it's good. And, and both things were happening when I finished that version of the story. Versus other versions uh, of the story where, you know, I think I was just, I, you know, still just trying to understand, like, what the story was trying to tell me <laughs> and, like, how I should tell it. And, and you know, once I, I got to a point where I was reading through the story and finishing the story and then, like, feeling, like, empty or, like, you know, emotional in some way um, or, like, out of breath or something... Then I knew that it was it was ready to go. And and it was it was done. And then I would, you know, I would see a bald man and like think about, you know, the the character in the story, the uncle in the story. And and, and I'm like, okay, you know, this is something that is sticking in my brain both immediately after I read it. And then, you know, days later, when I see someone on the street who might happen to look like someone in the story, and that's usually when I know that it's it's doing something real and that it's able to go out into the world. Am I satisfied with it? No. Do I do I, you know, do I sort of, you know, think it's the greatest thing ever? No. But I do know that it's out there in the world and they can walk on its own two legs and it's going to travel and different people are going to interpret it and and, and take it in, in in different ways and, you know, uh, hopefully feel something from it and and maybe get a laugh too. So
0: Men with bushy mustaches, uh, mustaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. They they, exactly. Symbol,
0: they symbolize something for you. They symbolize a kind of uh, virility and toughness, right?
1: Yeah, it's true, it's true. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's how I know uh, something is, is done. It's interesting, like with music, I have this whole thing where, you know, if I'm listening to, like somebody recommends something, I'll like put it on, and it, usually I don't have an impression of the music, at first and all my brain will start to wander but if something in the music like pulls me back to the song then I'll be like that's when I know something's like really good and I'll, I'll I'll really just sit down and listen to it it's always just sort of been my way of of sort of the critic inside of me you know of, uh, of the filter in terms of what's good and what's bad is, is whether it appeals to this separate <laughs> brain of mine
0: you know it's interesting I I have always had bad experiences recommending music to people and having music or anything really recommended to me. It's that thing where like when you really love something and then you want to recommend it to someone and you almost get a little bit too emotional about it or something. Yeah. It's almost like a kind of uh, violence. You're like, you need to listen to this.
1: Brad, do you remember, you know, when you were younger or when we were younger, you know, all your friends were listening to the same record, Right yeah you know you had like you had like two or three friends you were all listening to the same you all discovered the same like led zeppelin record or like we're all listening to the same green day record or like whatever and nowadays like everybody has their own bubble and like their own set of uh music that's like perfectly tailored for them right and so it's so much more difficult to recommend music now i feel and it's always like an experience it's always like a deeply emotional experience like it's de- deeply personal and if, if somebody doesn't like it then you know uh, it's rough
0: <laughs> the worst thing is when somebody recommends music to you but then makes you listen to the to the song in front of them like you've got to actually like listen and respond in real time and you're like you're i feel pressure and then conversely or like uh, uh, not conversely but uh, like in, in a similar way like recommending a restaurant to somebody And then they, and then they go to the restaurant or you take them to the restaurant even worse. You're like watching them eat, but, uh, no, you, they go to the restaurant and then they have to tell you about it and it never works out. They never love it as much as you do. So it's like, it's not even worth recommending anything. I feel like.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's so much out there that everybody finds something for them and and everybody's stuff is super personal now. Yeah. But it's also like, why is
0: it so important that other people like shit as much as you do? Like, why do I do
1: that? <laughs> well, you want people to feel the same ecstasy as you, you know? Maybe. Like
0: That's a generous read. That's a generous
1: yeah, read. It, especially the people you love, you know? Like, you know, it's like, I, I, I love you, and that's why I show you uh, things I find beautiful, you know? So, yeah.
0: Bees. I think Arizona's the story with bees in it, right?
1: Yeah, it's the story with bees. Um, I
0: related to that. And I also had to laugh a little bit because I'm like, what is it with little kids, little boys in particular? (laughs) And like this impulse to like go like, oh, there's a hornet's nest. Let me go like shoot things at it. Or like, you know, I got I had a very bad experience with bees as a kid where my friend and I were uh, we were spraying like carpet cleaner into a hive, just like asking (laughs) for it. And I got swarmed. And I was probably like, you know, in second grade, maybe. And I rode my bike home in my little neighborhood in suburban Milwaukee. And I had just like bees inside my T-shirt. They, they were all over me. And I was just riding home. I remember I walked in the door and my mom just like screamed and like ripped my shirt off and like a cloud of bees just like, you know. Oh, God. Yeah, I got stung like 50 times.
1: Shit, man! I'm glad you're alive. It's like a my girl situation. Yeah,
0: I could have been. I could have been my girl. I could have been Macaulay Culkin.
1: Yeah, no. I remember uh, when I was in first or second grade as well. Like we would, uh, my school had this like big field, and literally all we would do is we would wait till a bee landed on like a dandelion or something. And then we would stomp on it, but we'd do it very lightly so that the bee was still alive but incapacitated, like just cruel sadistic shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd put it in our baggies that our, our sandwiches came in that our moms packed for us, we'd put it in our baggies and then we'd go around and scare the girls um, with the, the you know uh, the one winged, you know, mauled bee inside of the sandwich baggie. <laughs> but wait, uh,
0: with the food in there too?
1: No, 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 empty, empty. Oh, okay. I was like, oh. Sandwiches and we'd go out and hunt bees. So, yeah, that was that was a thing with, with me and my friends. So I don't know what it is. It's just playing with fire when I was a kid. Like, I almost burned down my uh, my parents' house playing with matches. I still have scars on my fingers from from playing with fire. It was just, you know, the, the rush of it, the thrill of it, and the danger is just irresistible when you're a kid you know so
0: well and also like some sort of sense of invincibility you just don't yeah.
1: realize just want to test yourself and see how how tough you actually are hey
0: everybody if you are a writer or an aspiring writer or if you just love literature i have a book for you it's called truth is the arrow mercy is the bow To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So how many years have you been writing now?
1: Uh, about, uh, I'm I'm 42. So about, I don't know, 25 years now, which seems, seems insane.
0: It does, doesn't it? I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm like, how did all this time go by? I'm wondering <laughs> what your sense of the literary world is today and like how it's changed versus like when you were younger. Like you were lit online writing is that is that an is that a fair assessment correct me if i'm wrong I
1: guess so you know i always like i always bristle a little bit but you know I, I guess it's 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 like it's interesting how accepted that term is now and and it's interesting how things that start as like little internet jokes and and 10 15 years later like are like a big serious thing that People will probably write about in serious ways. And and, (laughs) I just
0: think it's like a shorthand for certain communities, like sub communities or whatever. Like to me, it's just like, oh, yeah, I kind of associate you with a group of writers that, I don't know, seem to coalesce in in the same spaces online.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's true. I was definitely involved in that and like definitely made a lot of good friends. I think in terms of how that's changed, you know, obviously, I think. I think blogging as a, which was so central, it seems to that whole thing as, as kind of, um, has died kind of gone away and died, <laughs> which is really sad, man. Like it was, it was, you know, it was really nice to be able to like count on like two or three people, uh, you know, that you would just read consistently and, you know, they'd be writing just for you. And now that doesn't, that's just not around anymore. It's well, what, really... what
0: about Substack? Substack is yeah, sort of...
1: Yeah, Substack is just really long form still anyway. I'm talking like, you know, maybe somebody's writing two or three paragraphs of something. And then, you know, it, I, I don't know. It's, it just seems, it's, it seems like Substack is just m- way more in-depth and, you know, way more time that I want to spend reading something on a screen. But I don't know. I also don't know of any specific Substack writers that I'm, like, really jazzed <laughs> about. Uh, and maybe that's a that's ignorance on my part. How, how do
0: you even search them? This is the thing. Like, I know, like I see links to people's Substacks, and occasionally, you know, occasionally I'll read one and be like, "Oh, that was good." But like, I don't. Where is the directory? Like, I don't understand how it works. I haven't spent enough yeah. time.
1: I have, I have no clue. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to start. Um, I feel as though um, I've never really uh, gotten a grasp of the internet or understood the internet. I feel like. I should say I feel like there are people that are just much better at the internet than I am. You and me both. And can find their spaces. But I, I I would think of
0: you as somebody who understood it like better than I,
1: I mean, I think I understand, I do like, you know, I think I understand it. I just, I think, I think I feel like I don't understand it. And that drives me to, to, to engage with it more and try to understand it. Um, uh, but I don't know. I feel like when I'm online, um, I want to do, like, I just want to tell jokes. Like, actually being a serious person online doesn't um, doesn't necessarily appeal to me. Me neither.
0: <laughs> listen, listen. I do not, and and I don't. I got to be careful here because I don't want to offend anybody. But like, people <laughs> who just consistently earnestly share their lives online, in like a sincere, like, this is yeah, I love this meal I had, and um, here I am with my my husband and like, you know, here I am at this concert and I took this walk and this is the flower that I saw. And I'm just like, I find it, uh, I, I start to think about that and I just get physically like whole body exhausted. Like how do people <laughs> do that all the time? And the, and like with consistency of tone too, like they're always in the same mood online. That's the thing that mystifies me.
1: Yeah, I don't, I think that consistency is something that I don't have. Like I've always just missed out on that. Um, I, I, I admire those people who do that. It's, it, I think you're right, I'm, I'm with you, it's not for me, but those people that can consistently, have a have a consistent voice and just talk about their lives, I think, you know, eventually find um, good audiences too, but um, it's just not something for me. I think I'm just really interested in making people laugh and, and sharing the dumb shit that pops in my brain. And, um, uh, and then like, you know, I think, as of late, you know, it's also been like where I've gone to vent, you know, politically as, as, as anybody else, but that almost never feels good. And it's probably lost no. me some, some really good friends. So <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, have recently been trying to just like, take a deep breath and, um, you know, not take all that stuff too seriously, but you know, it's hard when <laughs> it's hard when, as you, you know, have, have probably read, um, you know, uh, when you're as anxious a person as I am. You, and don't neurotic, seem, you don't seem anxious. Are you anxious? I'm very anxious. I am very neurotic and very anxious. Um, uh, and, and introverted, but I, I, you know, I, 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 I I also have this other side of me that's really extroverted and really just open and forward and uh, way braver than the other side of me. I don't know what it is. I've never been able to to explain it. Um, uh, but there's just uh, there's there's some kind of like <laughs> resilience that I have and and um, exuberance that I have that uh, I've never been quite quite able to to understand uh, after <laughs> many many years of therapy um uh, as well but do you know what I, you're anxious about I'm i mean is anxious. it just like is it
0: generalized anxiety or is it like specific things that trigger you
1: um i think it's both um you know i um you know uh how can i how can i put this i think it's just you know my, my upbringing i think uh was just bred a sort of um generalized fear of 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 the world of other people of um uh of just like doing things there's like agoraphobia involved like it's just a mixture of things and um i can't really um i can't really describe it i think it, it manifests it, itself most in the, the political sphere where um you know, I'm I'm worried about my safety as a black person in the world. <laughs> um, so there's just like that anxiety. Um, uh, there's just anxiety about the planet. Yeah, I'm, I'm just a, a super anxious person. I, I feel like I'm doing a shitty job explaining it. But, but well, yeah. listen,
0: listen, it's not unmerited. I mean, right. Especially living down in Texas, though. You, I mean, really living anywhere. Um, person of color or a person of a marginalized group. I think there's some right to feel anxious. And really like we all have a, a claim on anxiety <laughs> in this world, yeah. you know? It's uh there's a lot to be anxious about. And yet yeah. uh, you know, I guess the the idea is to try to find a way to live with it. I get social anxiety in certain circumstances yeah. where I can really just shut down. It has yeah. to do with like parent stuff yeah like I got to go to some event and be at a party and like talk I just like I can't do it you know
1: I can't that's do it. That's, that's that's the worst I you know I I thought of canceling this for uh, uh a couple of times because I was just like of canceling uh, this conversation yeah canceling this conversation I've, I'm happy I'm here and I want to be here and i uh, I'm enjoying myself and and I, I, I like you as a person, and and um, uh, I'm I'm flattered that you wanted to chat. But you know, it's it's um, it is it's exhausting in social situations. Um, it's interesting because like recently I've taken steps to kind of figure all that out, and um, you know, do things about it. And there's this whole like um, maybe it's it's um, this weird like technocratic or like. Uh, things say but the these like nootropics like this like ashwagandha rhodiola like these like herbal supplements yeah uh, as like this like booming industry right now and so one of these companies like caught my eye and i started taking some of these like um joe Ro- um,
0: joe rogan has a company called uh, on it have you heard of this company
1: I haven't. No, but it is, uh, you know, uh, as painful as it it is to admit, it's 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 similar to that stuff where it's just kind of like, you know, these herbal supplements that you can you can take that have a really powerful effect on your anxiety. Like I'm fucking having small talk with the cashier at 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 grocery stores now. I would never do that before. Um, uh, Like, it's just crazy. What's the what are you
0: taking? Tell me. I want I want some of this.
1: So it's, uh, they're, they're, uh, so ashwagandha, I think you can get it at whole foods, uh, ashwagandha, um, you, uh, rhodiola r- rosea, which I, I think is a bit more powerful, but really just obliterates my anxiety. I never wanted to be on any kind of SSRI or any kind of like, right. yeah, just like I, I didn't want to take any chances there. Um, And so, uh, you know, these herbal supplements are great. Rhodiola is really, really great. You just have to be strategic about how you use it. Like, I can't really do it every day. You just have to be like, okay, I have this stressful. I'm going to this party, so let me take half this, and then you can just have a wonderful time at the party. It's crazy.
0: No. Okay. So, like, okay. So, stop for a second. Ashwagandha. How are you dosing yourself?
1: So yeah, that's also a thing. It's all you know. All this stuff is unregulated. You know, you have to find out what's right for you. So. I have a company that um, that sends me kind of these like compounds that are designed to like make you feel a certain way and, you know, uh, you know, not sort of build tolerance and and help you not have you have some weird come down. But you can get the just isolated particles on their own. So ashwagandha and rhodiola. And then there's um, there's also like lion's mane. Um, Isn't that uh, a mushroom? Yeah. it's a it's a mushroom and it'll make you feel great (laughs) um uh but when you buy them in in a bottle like for rhodiola like i had like 500 milligrams and i i took it on the first day and i was like holy fucking shit like i just everything was just better and like yeah okay so everything's better do you get high no i mean it's there is a euphoric aspect to it definitely but you know, um, I think that just like you talked about generalized anxiety, it's just like a voice. It's just like, oh, you're not good enough. Oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this happens? You know, that all goes away. And so you are noticing other things more and when you're noticing other things more like you're feeling like oh wow this is actually a really great tree, you know like just just (laughs) shit like that like you know that Um, sounds
0: like you're high dude i've got to say
1: it does like it 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 is a uh a euphoria that that comes along with specifically rhodiola i think with ashwagandha and um and lion's mane it's more of like a You know, it's more of like a soft Adderall kind of like focus and like you're more present. But but both things really do a great job of getting you out of your head and 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 in um, present. I think
0: it's a shame I don't have a sponsorship deal with these companies because I feel like <laughs> there are like thousands of listeners right now like feverishly scribbling down uh, notes.
1: <laughs> I, I I just tried not to be too evangelical about it because I feel like the essential oils person when I talk about it and like honestly like the community around nootropics is kind of douchey right now. Right. Uh, um, uh, but I do think that they are really natural remedies to the anxieties that, that we feel every day and, and can provide real help. I know people who are, you know, suffer from P- PTSD, suffer f- far worse than I do with depression and things that, you know, use herbalists and, and, and dose, you know, one of three, four aptogenic herbs. Uh, and it really helps them. So Listen,
0: I think because I, I'm in your camp, I, I like again. No shade on people who take SSRIs and benefit from them. Yeah. But, like, no, the way that I'm wired is that I am – I just – I'm worried about side effects. I don't want to take anything. Uh, I like natural. I'm, a, like, a, basically a raw vegan at this point. Like, that's how I am. I just keep – and I'm very – as I have said a million times on this show, I'm extremely susceptible to any kind of new age health trend. So, uh, you you've, like, completely – I'm going into this now. I'm I'm buying oh, a, I'm buying shit what? as we speak. I'm online buying uh <laughs> Ashwagandha. <laughs> they they've just taken all my money, but you know, for people who might want an alternative to you know, corporate pharmaceuticals, let's put it that way. Yeah. These are herbal, natural, non what? Not non-chemical. They have chemicals in them, but they're just not like pharmacological.
1: Well, they're, they're, yeah, they're they're they're, they're either amino acids. Um, oh, my dog's about to bark. Um, they're either like amino acid amino acids that are naturally produced by the brain, or they are herbs like or mushrooms. Um, just basically dried out and ground up and, and thrown in capsules. So
0: you know who Paul Stamets is, the mushroom guy. You ever seen that yeah. guy? he wears the mu- he wears the hat made out of a mushroom. He's like completely Mister Mushroom.
1: Maybe, maybe I don't know that guy. I'm I'm thinking of that uh, mycelium uh, documentary that came out. Yeah, Yeah. He's the guy with the beard. He's the guy. I mean, he,
0: uh, he's got a company where he sells all these supplements. He's probably killing it.
1: Yeah. I do want to say though, like in terms of corporate pharmaceuticals, you know, there are some people who need those to survive. Right. And there have been some incredible miracles that have come out of that. So I feel like there's often this like, you know, this dangerous dichotomy that's that or false dichotomy that's set up between like pharmaceutical companies and like natural remedies. And the fact is, is that both have their risks and, and all bodies are really different and people um, uh, sort of react to different things in different ways. But some people need corporate pharmaceuticals to actually like live in the world and survive. And so, that's right. That's right. Um, I don't want to undermine that but uh, or sound like I'm just dogging on that. But in terms of like, you know, the um, what are those called? Uh, the SSRIs and, and things like that. I think, you know, I, I like already having like suicidal ideation, I'm not going to do anything out like everything's fine. But, you know, when you when you're, you're anxious, there is just like a desire to just like turn it off. <laughs> and sometimes your brain can just go to those dark places again, you know, I'm 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 okay. Please don't text me after you hear this. Uh, But but you know I think adding SSRIs and like having to go through the a period of like figuring out what's right with you is something so powerful is 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 dangerous. And then I I never really had any medical professionals kind of recommend them. I never saw a doctor for anxiety and depression. I saw doctors for ADHD, which I think was served as like the foundation for my anxiety and, and depression. So. I found that when I treated my ADHD, my anxiety and my depression kind of went away. And so that's what led me to kind of these nootropics. They were sold to me as ADHD remedies, natural ADHD remedies. And so that's what I um, that's what I took. And did, did a,
0: but wait, did a did a traditional like Western medical doctor point you in the direction of these natural remedies or is this something you sourced on your own?
1: No, it was something I sourced on my own, but obviously, like, you know, I'm like, are there research papers? You know, like, how many people are in this study? Like, you know, because the the FDA doesn't look at them, and and they are unregulated, and, you know, there isn't a doctor, you know, to to your question earlier, there isn't a doctor that's telling you take, you know, 200 milligrams of this. You take 500, you, you know, you get, like, You go crazy, look at a a tree and you're like, Oh my god, it's so beautiful. And then like maybe I should tone this down. Like and so you take (laughs) half the next day and like you still feel great, but you're not like freaking out or anything. You know, you're not you're not yeah, flooding your brain with serotonin. Yeah.
0: What's your daily take? Like what do you take on a daily basis?
1: So the the thing with them is that you have to um cycle so you can build up a tolerance uh to them. So I had um, taken rhodiola for a week, and then I switched to ashwagandha, and then I switched to lion's mane, and then I'm going to switch to rhodiola. So I take about 200 milligrams of rhodiola. I, I would take 200 milligrams of rhodiola each day. I would then next the next week take around you know three to 400 milligrams of ashwagandha, and then you know next go around I would take about 200 to 300 milligrams of um, of lion's mane.
0: On a daily basis, yeah, on a daily basis, and then switch it back. So when the lion's mane cycle is done, you go back to the rodeo, r- yep. rodeo. Okay,
1: you can feel it towards like the end of a week. You can just feel like it's not, it's not working as well, and and so you can feel your body just sort of adapting to it. Uh, but then you know, if you cycle out of it, then you go back to it. Um, it's it's good. I don't know if there's an herbal supplement that's really. For me, like that's that's good for a day-to-day basis. Now, you know, again, like everybody's body is different. Your b- brain chemistry is different. You'll start to if you if this is your first foray into this world, you'll get on YouTube and you'll start seeing <laughs> people. People are actually on there like testing their brain chemistry, understanding like how much dopamine they have at any one time, how much epidrine they have at one time. Like you can look at how much um, is in your bloodstream, how much your body is producing. And you can choose these chemicals based on that that sort of readout. So you can get really really deep in it. And so I think for me, it's like I have a lack of dopamine. I don't feel really motivated during the day. I feel um, or in the morning. So when I wake up, I just like I'm like fuck everything. I don't and it's not like I want to go back to sleep, but I just I I I just don't want to do the day whatever it is I have to do that day. So usually I'll just I have to have coffee. Which is a, an, an a, aptogenic herb. I, I have to have uh, coffee to to you know feel motivated or get over that hump of motivation and wake myself up. Um, but now I just kind of I take I take herbs. I still drink coffee from time to time, but now I just take herbs. But Brad, it's a journey. You're going to have to figure out like what is good for you, uh, and uh, you know it may be a little weird for a sec.
0: Well, I, I'm fascinated by it, I, In fact, yeah. I'm sitting here drinking my uh, I drink yerba mate. Yeah, yeah. But it's a basically coffee. I mean, it's a, it's got uh, xanthines. It's a kind of caffeine.
1: Yeah, and, uh,
0: yeah. I mean, isn't everybody – does I mean, I guess some people don't. They just get up and they're just chipper and they attack the day or whatever with nothing. <laughs> who, who the fuck are these people? But most people take uh, – they take a, a cup of coffee. Like, And by the way, this stuff starts to drive me crazy. Is coffee bad? Is, is drinking uh, mate bad?
1: I, I have no idea, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I haven't, I haven't read anything and that, that suggests it, but you know, who knows? I, I, I you know, I it don't goes know. It back,
0: goes back and forth. Like you'll read something where it's like coffee's actually good and you have 70% less chance of dying of like, you know, cancer of the ass if you drink coffee and then you'll read something else where it's like coffee's going to give you a heart attack and you're going to die. You know, it's just, it's endless. There's never.
1: All is bad. That's all I know. Just uh, Smoking I just is don't...
0: objectively bad.
1: Or eat, eat too many fried foods. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You smoke weed? <laughs> you live in San Francisco in the Lower Haight?
1: Yeah. Got- no, I do. I do partake, and I think that was also something that that pushed me into this new tropics world because it's starting to have a, a, a bad effect on me. To be honest, like it, it the, the joy in 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 cannabis isn't um, isn't there, and I don't think that I've necessarily used it in the right way. I don't. I don't want to blame cannabis. <laughs> Uh, because it's helped me out a lot um, in terms of my anxiety and and focus and and ability to to feel a little bit more comfortable in the world but I think you know at at this point it's just adding to my anxiety like and so I'm I'm like taking just tiny little puffs like yeah I like 8 p.m. and then you know I'm I'm fine. Um, it's a it's
0: an age thing. I, I like I feel like cannabis has become a, a another failure for me. It's like I feel like I failed. Like I can't be a stoner. I can't do it. Yeah. I just get yeah. stupid and I wish and I have this like aspiration for some reason to be like the cool stoner and I'm I'm bad at it. I can't do yeah. it. And I don't even drink anymore. I don't even have anything. I'm just like Good. I'm too fucking old to do anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well I mean, that's good that you're not drinking. Drinking is, is – is, is, alcohol is like literally poison. And I have this whole thing like where I'm like, you know, uh, you know, men drinking beer is like the ultimate of, of boy fun and male bonding, but it's just killing us.
0: <laughs> well, say like, smoking – I mean, all the things, the things that are legal, right? I mean, I, I guess weed is legal in certain places now, but it's like we make cigarettes and booze legal, and they're both just like straight up poison. And, they, and the thing too is like – I mean, listen – I, I don't begrudge anybody enjoying a couple drinks, but it's like you bet you be hang around sober around a bunch of drunk people. It's so annoying.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really annoying, and it's it's just kind of like when somebody is that drunk, it's just kind of like like what's going on? Like you know, um, what are you what are you trying to numb here? Um, like you know, something else is going on. Yeah, it's hard not to uh, come off like a judgmental asshole, but I think I have. Uh, really found value in getting healthy and I think at some point um, I think some people just find it really sexy and interesting to not be healthy Especially, you know creatives. I don't know. It's I I just uh, um, This has just been a maybe it is an age thing, but I've just been like uh, I just want to take the best care of myself as possible because yeah, I, too. I got too go. much
0: going on. I can't be hungover That's the deal but i can also here like just to like dive into um my my feelings of failure again is that like there are people i think in the world and you and i sound like we're both not one of them <laughs> who are like what i would call sensualists who yeah. they they fucking love life they love to go to a restaurant they like relish their experience of life they go and they look at art and they're just like this painting and like i got none of that I can't be that level of an enthusiast. I'm like, there's something dead inside of me that is alive inside of them. <laughs> Do you know what, You know who I'm talking about, though? They just, like, they love it. They, they get so excited about it. And I'm like, these are people who would never spend, like, a fraction of the amount of time I have spent thinking about whether or not I should, like, take nootropics or, like, quit smoking weed or, you know what I'm saying? All this stuff. Like, they just if it's around they enjoy it and they relish it and they move on to like you yeah. know the next museum or restaurant or whatever it is
1: yeah yeah you never know what's going on with somebody though i feel like those 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 types of people uh you know have have hidden lives as well that you That's you, right. you might you might not see it's all an act yeah. <laughs> i think the people i'm most jealous of are people with these like 15 like 15 and 16 people like really close friend groups I think those are the those are the people that I'm I'm most jealous. Of. like I had I got married and I had like I had like, you know my two my two Best guy friends there and like I probably talked to them They don't live in 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 this city and I probably talked to them two or three times a year but I think uh, I, I miss I miss sort of being that person that just had like a buddy come over and like you just hang out all day and like- This is a this is a uh epidemic
0: among <laughs> adults and I think in particular among adult males. Yeah. Women yeah. women know how to make friends and build community better than men do generally speaking
1: yeah i think that's that's i think that's the case i think men are more suspicious of of other people than than women generally are um paradoxically or or ironically simply because you know the the world is way more unsafe for women uh, but they seem to be more open and um uh, interested in bonding you know it's like uh you know your wife uh, makes a new friend and and you know she's like you have to meet her husband or <laughs> it's like, I don't know this guy. Like who the fuck is this guy?
0: Like... It's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> this is, but this is where I, I'm cause I can listen. I can do this show. I can talk to you or anybody like this one-on-one for an hour or two and I'll have a blast. I'd love it. Yeah, I so. But man, I look at friends of mine who have these social lives that literally just considering what they do makes me tired. And I just, I start to get anxious because I'm like, I can't do this. Like the <laughs> constant schmoozing and breakfasts and like, let's go for a power walk together and like, let's chit chat. And I'm like barely hanging on here. I'm like, how do people have the energy and the space for all this?
1: You know, take some ashwagandha. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be
0: great. I'm needed. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to be, listen, if this, if this shit works as well as you say, I'm going to become an evangelist. I will be,
1: I had a friend that um, uh, he um, he's like uh, you know he's a guy who would you would never in a million years think would read a self help book or let alone recommend one, but he he gave me he he recommended one to me and it was um, uh, the men's guide to anger or something I, I I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll send you a link and um, i got it and, and normally i would i would never read the, uh, this type of book this is kind of like pop psychology kind of kind of books but because it came from him i was like okay i have to i have to check this out and you know they talked about you know men's ability to to, to make friends and how you know men are uh, and like i was saying earlier like men uh, are are sort of a little more afraid of being vulnerable especially being vulnerable about around men, especially being vulnerable around men that they don't know. And so it, 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 it causes this, this sort of anger, which reinforces the isolation. And so it's, it's a really interesting book and, and gave me a lot of insight. And so, it, but, but what, it, what, it, what it did was, it made me sort of be a little bit more open with the men who are my wife's friend's partners and I found that it was still like there was still like this brick wall, in, in terms of like I just like I'd, I'd invite them over, you know. I might not like there might be part of me like I just want my day to myself. I don't want this strange guy. I don't know this guy, like you know. But I do know that on some level I want some some uh, male companionship in some in some way, and so you know invite, you know, and it's it's it's. I'm I'm met with sort of blank stares. Like men don't know how to how to deal with that, and it's just kind of like now I'm I'm good, man. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. It doesn't work. It's really weird. But I'm I'm really sort of um, just trying to as I get older and 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 just grow my own emotional intelligence as, as as. as like I would any other uh, type of intelligence. And so I'm really just trying to be more open and vulnerable, uh, just with the people in my life and with the men in my life and just say, you know, hey man, we hung out that one time and I really miss you. You know, like you would never say that to a man. Women say that shit to themselves all the time. Like women will, strange women will compliment each other's fucking pants. Men will like rarely ever do that. And it's so, it's so. I like incredible. your pants,
0: Tim. So I You've got great pants. I can't even see them. And I like
1: them. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh So I don't know. It's, it's weird because I thought that, you know, I like growing up, like, you know, elder millennial Gen X cusp kind of thing. Like you remember that whole thing in the 90s, like men getting in touch with their feminine side. And like, we're still like you know 30 years on from that and that's still just like maybe it's just for me but like it still seems like a Uh, tough thing it's not
0: just for you and I think too like you know you talk about wanting to be vulnerable open you talk about wanting to be funny online like the thing that keeps flashing in my brain is like boundary issues like if you're somebody who is vulnerable and if you're somebody who is funny online like those things seem like virtues to me and something to aspire to right you can get in trouble with that. People go, God, I just wanted to have small talk with this guy and he's telling me how he actually feels. Or, you know, <laughs> this guy's online making a joke and like now I'm offended. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it just seems like traps to me. It's like, ugh, you know, like that's where I, that's where like the negative cynical side of me comes out. I'm like, it's not even worth it. You know, you try to do this and people well, you're
1: are like, worried the, you're worried about the, like what other people will think of you. And I think that's, that's, um, you know, that's the that's the one thing that you know I think we're all trying to trying to struggle with is this balance between being ourselves and and not being weird and and coming off as weird to everyone else and I think the more we embrace ourselves and you know it's it's really interesting because I talked about you know getting healthy and what they don't tell you about getting healthy is that you lose a lot of unhealthy friends and you may love these people (laughs) like they may be like really close you may have like these really solid memories but because you are kind of Growing as a person and you know, not really interested in in, in them anymore, you know, they'll dis the, the the friendship or the relationship kind of um uh dissolves. And it's like it's like you know, you're in a, a relationship with your wife. You have to grow at the same time. If one of you grows at some <laughs> a, a different pace, there's a lot of friction that comes up in the relationship. And maybe that friction is good and has to happen so that you do grow at the same pace. But if the same thing happens to your friends, but it's also like the flip side of that is that you get a lot of new friends. And so you're navigating a lot of newer relationships as well. And so that's like, you know, another another kind of layer. So I don't know. It's it's just it's just really interesting. What I've noticed over the last six years is that I've lost a lot of friends, but I've also either um strengthen the 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 bonds that i already had with existing friends or and or i've made and or i've made new friends you know friends that are sort of not not at my level but like in on the same journey as i am uh in in life
0: yeah hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news Well, you know, you speak of, like, friends that you've lost along the way. Uh, there's a story in the book. There are a couple stories in the book that I feel like, like, for me, like, th- things kind of slowed down. And I was like, ooh, the story about your friend Alex. It's I think it's called, what is it, My Friend Alex yeah, Who's Dead? Yeah, 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 yeah. That story really, uh, memories of my friend Alex who is dead. That story really resonated with me. And uh, I have, like, similar friend member like similar friend losses and a friend who died in like kind of a similar way drug related heroin related like organized crime possibly related Uh, i don't know know how true it is but it seemed pretty close to the bone that story
1: you can can, uh it's based on my friend brian van Ash and you can go on reddit right now and there's a big like unsolved mysteries reddit and there's a big reddit thread about him and his wife his wife was had a is in the permanent collection at the MoMA like she's like an established artist he was like probably one of the smartest people I had ever met and you know he he was the one that like introduced me to the counterculture and like introduced me to literature and like I I still have one of his books the first book he ever gave me was um the journals of, of Allen Ginsberg and so, you know, it's it's Ginsburg's journals where he's, you know, talking about sleeping with his husband and, and or sleeping with his boyfriend, his partner. And like I'm a 16 year old kid reading this in Midwest City, Oklahoma, <laughs> and it's fucking blowing my mind. And like um, and so, you know, he was he was the one I, I credit him with sort of expanding my own consciousness and, and introducing me to the world of art. Really, and he—he he was uh, just a, a incredibly wild spirit, and just sort of lived on the edge of life at all times, and including with drugs. And you know, was the first person I ever sh- saw shoot up. And you know, I—I I think I—I I call it out in the story. Like, I just—I wonder if—if if at some point I had joined him, like how different my life would have been. But sure, yeah. I just. Just never, for some reason, like that other part of me is like, no, dude, like this is how Kurt Cobain died. Are you crazy?
0: (laughs) Plus, like, who I like that's just the thing. It never would have, I mean, put a needle in my arm. No, thanks. Like, that doesn't sound like fun to me.
1: Kurt Cobain didn't die that way, but it it definitely had an effect, a negative effect on his life. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) I always, (laughs) yeah, I always knew where the line was. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was always, I wasn't willing to go past a certain point with that stuff. And I'm wondering, there's a scene in the story. Where you're together on 9/11, or the character, or the narrator and the and the Alex character are together on 9/11, how true is that?
1: It's really true. So the thing about Brian is that he, you know, we like the first time I did in like I had this like, it was really like it felt really good at first, but I did it with Brian or Alex in the story, and he. You know he didn't like it. He was like, "This isn't something that that it's it like. I feel deadens. I don't like how how this makes me feel. I want to go home and go to bed." And so I was crashing with him, and and this is like two. It was like actually two weeks after nine eleven, but it was still just like plastered all over the news. And so we we get to his house, and he makes this pallet on this hardwood floor. It's like a sheet, and I'm like. You know, I'm like, my teeth are chattering. I'm like rolling like crazy. And <laughs> he lays down on his couch, passes out, turns on the TV, turns on CNN, passes out on his couch. And I'm just like on the ground as the towers are coming down. And I'm like <laughs> on drugs. And I'm just like, oh, it <laughs> was one of the worst experiences of my life. But but yeah, one of, uh, one of several memories that I have uh, of the time I spent with him. What's funny is that one of his best friends, I was never really close with when I was in high school, um, but I've since become really close with. And I I got an opportunity to show him the story. And he was like, man, you just you really you really got Brian. And I really wanted, you know, a version of of Brian to sort of live on and and tell that story. So that story is like something that's like really just like an homage to the person who um, introduced me to art. But it it, his, his life was really, really tragic. And, you know, he died in this really, really, really brutal way. But, you know, he still found the love of his life. And who was, was this incredible artist. So I don't know. It's just really a, a fascinating story. And I'm glad I got it down. and um,
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful story. And I'll let readers, you know, listeners can read it to find out the details. You know, that seems like a good uh incentive for them to pick up the book. And You know, to to just sort of dive a little bit more into the collection and its theme, you know, we've been talking about anxiety, dread, death, menace, (laughs) you know, all these things that sort of uh, loom in the culture and, you know, things that we have to reckon with as human beings uh, psychologically and otherwise. And I want to read a a section that I loved and I'm going to I got to remember what story it's from. It might be from the title story, Modern
1: Massacres.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I'll read this section and just bear with me here.
1: All right. All right this is interesting. I've never uh, heard anybody else read it.
0: Yeah, so. I, I'm going to read it because I, I just loved it and I sort of marked it with my pen. Okay. Alex watches a couple in matching I haven't had my coffee yoga shirts. And the word coffee's crossed out. So Alex watches a couple in matching I haven't had my coffee yoga shirts. Struggle to c- control the clumsy labradoodles. He thinks about how he would confess to anything the secret police wanted. He senses himself worrying that, for the crime of slurping his drink, the woman in the yoga coffee naps shirt, this is a different woman, would report him to the secret police. You can't control what people think of you. Alex senses the man in the tan suit staring more intensely now. He thinks, when genocide happens... There is always someone, somewhere, slurping expensive coffee. He packs up his book and leaves the coffee shop. He looks down the street where he sees more people carrying yoga mats and wearing (laughs) yoga pants. They all seem to be marching in step with each other, like a yoga army invading the neighborhood, raising the price of coffee beans, and driving ethnic minorities from their homes. (laughs) All right. So this, I think, is a brilliant, uh, like juxtaposition of like the ordinary, the bougie and the tyrannical <laughs> and <laughs> like, like the real, like the real menace, you know, and, um, it brings class. Uh, you know and cultural differences into um, focus it's doing a lot of things at once I guess is what I'm saying but I found it so recognizable maybe as a fellow Californian yeah uh, because I feel exactly the same level of menace inside these things which at the surface level are harmless you would think or are even you know they even involve wellness like yoga is all about wellness and yet I f- it's like it's evil and these fucking labradoodles doodles that I see everywhere in these bougie neighborhoods. I cannot, t- I bitch about this to my friend all the time. I'm like, dude, there's another doodle, you know, there's a doodle. And I've got like this mangy mutt that I adopted, you know, that was like born in the streets of Tijuana. And I'm like, I kind of feel superior about it. I'm like, look at you with your, uh, your $3,000 designer dog, which just like attacked my dog outside the yoga studio, or whatever it is. But, uh, I was just glad to see somebody, I don't know, I found my, I recognize myself in this passage in particular, and I want to hear you talk about it.
1: (laughs) Oh man, I'm so glad, I'm so glad you asked me about this, because, you know, I I particularly love that story, because I think one, it encapsulates just class anxiety, racial anxiety, political anxiety, just like, I wanted to just kind of distill it all down and, and get it into to one story. Um, and it, you know, you, you read the story, like not a lot happens. Like it's just about a guy who walks to a coffee shop, does a little reading and then like walks back, you know, really there's, there's, there's not much happens actually in the story. And most of the drama takes place within the character's anxiety and, and, and the the character's imagination. And, you know, I think a lot of, so, you know, I'm a, a big, History buffs, specifically Russian history, like Eastern European history. I've read probably five or six <laughs> biographies of Stalin. Why? 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 This is what I, I, I actually I absolutely could not tell you why, you know, literally Caucasian people from like why they why they fascinate me so much. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you this, like the first the first writers to have a big impact on me were the Tolstoy's were the Dostoevsky's. And so I really wanted to understand the environment with which they came about. And so that got me led me to Russian history. Stalin, um, I think, I you know, I discovered him in college, but he seemed to me like to be this person who represented the extreme of, of sort of left wing ideology. And as a leftist in college who had communist friends, you know, I really wanted to understand what I was really an advocate of and what I was really like, <laughs> what I what I really believed in and and so it became fascinating to me that that, that you know that he as a person you know belonged to this I- ideology that was all about representing the worker, representing the small man against the tyrannical rich man and uh, class warfare and all that stuff but it, it ended up sort of going all the way back and being uh, really fascistic. So anyway I, I, I understand totalitarian regimes have always been um, really uh, of deep interest to me my dad fought in the the first Gulf War I've read a lot about Saddam Hussein um, his regime the idea of this one man who can 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 you know sort of mystify or, or sort of entrance an entire nation and get them to hang pictures of them in their houses and then kill anybody who who disagrees is is really interesting to me and fascinating about how that all that comes about so I've been reading about that stuff for like 20 years but it never found its way into my work like I always kind of separated it and you know I know a lot about these these events and I just have all this information but I've never been able to kind of uh, distill it in and and what I've found is that in, in most of these societies, if you look at, like, the Weimar government before uh, Hitler took over, if you look at, you know, the six months between February of 1917 and October of 1917 before the Bolsheviks took over in, in Russia, you had these kinds of, like, periods in time where they were like these progressive utopias – like in the Weimar government, that's where the first studies around uh, transgender people started to be written. The first scholarly articles. Like it was a very open and accepting uh, society, a really progressive society, and then it swung in a totally different direction. And so uh, I think now with the with the rise in twenty sixteen with the rise of Trump, and you see all these authoritarian aspects uh, within the Republican Party. Um, it, it it just is, has generated a ton of anxiety, and all of a sudden, all of that reading that I had done up until that point. I was going to say,
0: uh, this must have been prepared you. It must have prepared you so well for sixteen, and and well, what came after.
1: Well, it became such a reality. Like it could definitely happen here. Like it could definitely happen here. You could have the oath keepers hit food supplies in 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 you know the middle of California. You have the whole swath of the middle of uh, you know all of middle of California's filled with Nazis who have to pay like Gavin Newsom taxes and you know like and so I, there there is this reactionary element that's within the United States that um, got really close to total power and I think that's really terrifying and I think we could have the same types of situations as here especially as we sort of get further out and our memories of, of the war World War One and World War II become more distant we lose all that history we start to not really understand the Holocaust, you know, not really understand what actually happened in in um, in Soviet Russia. And so the book is like is like or the, the story itself is like a distillate distillation of of all that anxiety. And, you know, and, uh, and just
0: so people are following the story that we're talking about is the title story, Modern Massacres.
1: Yeah. Modern Massacres. That that story is just it it's it's. It talks about how easily genocide and um, mass murder, modern massacres can come to the United States and how regular people in Russia today, regular people in Hungary today, support fascism. Like they support a one party rule. They support the disappearing of, of ethnic minorities. You know, they may be ignorant to it. They may be brainwashed by state propaganda, but on some level, I think there is a, uh, an acceptance and, you know, there is sort of, you know, you often hear about in, in with the Stasi, you know, in these totalitarian regimes, people snitching. So that passage that you read, like, you know, um, in, in Stalin's Russia, you know, if you wanted to take revenge on your neighbor, you could report them for, you know, saying, hey, they said something against, you know, dear leader um, and, and the secret police would, would snatch them up. Would disappear them so it's just like that that particular story is just all of this reading that I had done just casually and 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 from just as like a hobbyist interest trying to get that into my work and you know I've flirted with this idea of doing like historical fiction and I don't know if I can I can do that I'm not a I'm not a researcher <laughs> per se
0: well but you kind uh, of are you're reading all these books I uh, you know about uh, history and stuff that that would
1: qualify. I, I, I would say that Yeah, I don't know how much of it is actually falling out of my brain, though. You know, I read books that like, you know, what is the percentage of the grain supply in the Ukraine in 19, coming out of the Ukraine in 1936? Like, you know, I I might read about that, but I don't actually like, you know, I don't actually know what that percentage is. So, you know, not that you actually need that for historical fiction. And maybe one day I actually will do some historical fiction, but I think um, you need a little bit more intellectual rigor than I'm willing to apply. That's a, uh, it's a
0: big lift. It's a big
1: lift. Yeah, it's a big lift. It's a big lift. But I can tell my own stories and how these kinds of books... It's also, you know, I think if you read too much of that shit, like you, if, like I have a book right now that I'm reading. It's Anna Applebaum's... It's Gulag. Oh, It's right. about the gulags. Uh, that shit is like really, really heavy and can take you to a really dark place. So the book is like, you know about how that stuff impacts your daily life and increases your anxiety, um, the closer <laughs> you get to that I stuff. I was going to
0: say, no wonder you're taking nootropics. You're reading about the gulag.
1: <laughs> exactly. And like, you know, I, I, I read about the Holocaust. I, I, I feel like it's really important to stay in touch with the extremes and the, and the evils of, of human nature just as a moral political person. That's right. Um, so anyway, yeah. Well, listen,
0: uh, I'm gonna go buy some nootropics. I'm gonna read about <laughs> Stalin. Uh, <laughs> what else am I gonna do? I don't know. But I've enjoyed this conversation. I'm yeah. glad. You, I'm glad you didn't cancel. You know, I'm glad yeah,
1: you I'm glad I didn't cancel either. I would. I would. I would have never done it. I just, you know, I illustrates my, my social anxiety overall. So yeah. Right. But I'm really glad uh, this this conversation. I think uh, was much more. Uh, robust, and I I feel much more comfortable than than our than our last uh, our last chat.
0: I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to remember. I think we talked about.
1: Your... It was good. We Talked about my like. I thought we were going to talk about the book, but we got we got really personal. And and you know maybe that was my ignorance with the show because you do that with all your guests. <laughs> um, but at, at the time, I was like, um, you know, I was like, oh, now I'm talking about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: listen, you know, I I will confess, I have gone back and forth. The show is more about the book in its current iterations than it maybe was in its earliest days. Yeah. But the conceit from the beginning was that it would be about the author and the author's life and it would be personal and conversational and, impro- you know, improvisational. And yeah. we would just talk about whatever came up. And I think maybe nowadays, I've, as podcasts have kind of proliferated and there's more of them and the quality has gone up, it's like... I guess people want like all well, I feel and I'm getting like, you know, high profile authors on and it's like, you know, I gotta be like, I gotta give them the NPR, you know?
1: You got, well, yeah, I thought that you were going to Michael Silverblatt me. But I was I, like, he's going to ask me a bunch of deep questions about this book. And I'm like, look, man, I was just trying to have some fun on the thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the thing is, is that I can't be better than Michael Silverblatt at being Michael Silverblatt. There's yeah, already, yeah. that already exists. That totally. already exists. So I guess like I'm confessing my struggle about the format of the show. Like, I kind of think it's better and more interesting as a personal matter when a show is just sort of off the rails and people are talking uh, about yeah. life. But yeah. it, it it takes two to tango. Sometimes it can fall flat if, like, you know, I'm doing a shitty job that day or if the person I'm talking with just is like, listen, I just want to talk about my poetry. You know? like, <laughs> 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 um,
1: yeah. Poets typically do. <laughs> I don't know. So, But
0: hey, listen, no, I've had conversations with poets that go off the rails beautifully. And I think like, I think where I'm now is I think I'm sort of like yo-yoing back to off the rails. I think I'm just off the rails. And that's who <laughs> I am. <laughs> so I appreciate you in both episodes that we've now done. I appreciate um, you being being willing to go off the rails with me.
1: So I will. I will say this, like. Uh, it, it's crazy how many people like how many just sort of younger people write me and and, and reference that podcast and how it, how it 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 helped them in some way so it, it is an interesting uh it's interesting how it's lived on and 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 has gone on so uh i just mention that because i thought i thought it was, it, it was just a really great thing to do and, and credit to you so uh, well yeah. I, I appreciate it i'm glad i'm always
0: glad whenever an episode is sticky that way for listeners because that's the hope and then it's also i think if people feel a personal connection to the guest they're every bit as likely if not more so to go buy the book than if they find the conversation about the book which they have not read and have no line into if that conversation is compelling, then they're likely to go get the book too. But it's just hard to listen for a listener. I think it's like less interesting to hear two people talk about a book that I haven't read yet than it is to have two people talk, like two guys talking about like their shared issues with anxiety. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Do you know no, what I'm saying?
1: No, totally. Like, I I can't. Um, wouldn't I? I understand probably about twenty five percent. Of uh, any bookworm episode, um, and if I've read the book, that that increases to like thirty five percent. Right, right.
0: So you, the, the the point is, we just got to be ourselves. Maybe a mine will be some sort of uh, meld. But I've enjoyed the conversation. I would imagine a lot of people are going to love hearing from you. I appreciate you taking time yeah uh, we're recording this on a saturday thanks for taking time out of your lovely san francisco day i'm sure is it foggy today or you get sun? you got sun oh, up there
1: sunshine. yeah we got sunshine today maybe in the sunset it's foggy but here it's good all
0: right well enjoy the rest of your afternoon thanks for talking yeah. to me congratulations on uh modern massacres and bestie are you working on another book or are you just chilling right now i am a novel
1: yeah yeah it's gonna be a good one so. what's any hints? Uh, it is, it is about a, it's a road trip book. Um, it's about a guy that goes on a trip with his, uh, with his, uh, girlfriend's family to, to, to Tennessee. So yeah, I'm really, uh, uh really it's, it's going to be probably one of the most fun projects I ever do. And, uh, I really am looking forward to sharing it with the world in, in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk again in 10 years. All right, cool man. All right, have a good one, Brad.
0: Okay, folks, there we have it. That was Timothy Willis Sanders. His new story collection, Modern Massacres, is available now from Publishing Genius. You can find Timothy on the internet at neutralspaces.co/slash TWS. You can also follow him on Twitter at Timothy Sanders. Again, The story collection is called Modern Massacres. Go get your copy right away. The Other People podcast is offered freely. All episodes of this show, nearly 800 and counting, are available to you, the listener, free of charge. It's a listener-supported show. So, if you like this program, if you get something from it, I hope you will consider supporting it. You can do so for as little as $1 a month. I've tried to make it a no-brainer. One dollar a month over at Patreon.com slash other PPL pod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash other PPL pod. You can uh, throw a dollar in the hat every month, three dollars, five, ten, whatever you prefer. As you move up the scale, you can get gear. Other people t-shirt, other people tote bag, sticker, book club subscription, etc. Patreon.com slash other PPL pod. If you would like to get your hands on a copy of my new novel, Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, you can do that wherever books are sold. It's available in trade paperback, ebook, or an audiobook edition narrated by yours truly. Again, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, available now from IG. Go get it if you so desire. If you would like to email me, the address for this show is letters at otherppl.com. The Other People Podcast has its own official app. Not sure if you're aware of that. It's a great app. It's a great way to listen. It is free. Go get the Other People with Brad Listy app wherever apps are available. The show is also available on YouTube. So if you're a YouTube person and you want to watch Uh, or listen to the show on YouTube, you can do that. Just go search for it by name, Other PPL with Brad Listy, and then hit subscribe when you get to the channel. It's free. If you would like to rate and review this podcast, I would appreciate that. It helps. So wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever, go drop a rating and a review. It'll take a couple of minutes, and it will really help the cause. Otherwise, next week on the program, I have as my guest uh, coming up luke danny blue is our book club author for the month of september great talk with them and i'm excited to share that one with you so stay tuned thank you for listening i hope you're doing well and i will return shortly